I'm seriously mainlining coffee today. <laughs> this is like cup number four, I think. And I'm almost out of filters, so I'm going to have to go on an expedition because I order them on Amazon, and they're not going to be here for like a month. So I'm just like going to have to go to the grocery store. So just so you know, I ordered something on Amazon, um, and it was not it was supposed to take a month to get here, and it got here today. So Yeah, I had that happen with one of my things too. So okay, maybe maybe this one will be the same thing. Maybe I'll get lucky. Yeah. Um, God bless Amazon, man. Gift to humanity right there. That's for sure. I also have a, a metal coffee filter that it it, it sucks. It's awful. Yeah. But like if I was in a pinch. Um, yeah, that's true. That's that's a good one to have as a backup. Paper is definitely the way to go, though. It's really bad. Paper, conical burr filter, need it, grinder. You need it all, man. Need it all. <laughs> um, little things to get you through. Have you bought any any cool quarantine gear? Any any uh, quarantine oh splurges? God. That's all I've been doing. <laughs> I, I I bought a new TV. Oh yeah. I bought a new desk. These that's doors. Right. Oh yeah. These that's doors right. behind us. Yep. Um. What else did I get? Dude, does oh, I got a five K monitor? Oh yeah. Yep. I guess I got one of those too. By the way, half of these are on the Ember Map. <laughs> I think uh, I know the monitor was the, the monitor was is like such a no brainer, right? It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I also got a um, monitor mount arm that I've never used that before. And I can't believe I went this long. Um, someone I worked with had had one in like 2007. So it's mm-hmm. not like I didn't know about these. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just it frees up so much space on your desk. You can move it. Nice. It's just all good things. So it's I'm reading the Atomic Habits book and he talks about one time things that have like a, a, a compound effect on like your life or your habits and your behaviors. And he's like, these are things that you should really pay attention to because it's like this. It's where it's like, it's so easy to put it off. But you're like, if I had done this two years ago, just the little frictions in my life would have been removed and it would have just been that much more pleasant, you know? Um, So, you know, he's like, if you want to be happier, like get a dog. That was like one of the most common responses, like a one-time cost that has like, um, you know, it's like a one-time change that you do, but then just that thing being in your life will bring about more happiness <laughs> okay. huh. so that was it or if you want to be more social like moving to a neighborhood that had that has like outdoor stuff and like um you know restaurants and stuff like that it's like just automatically doing that kind of thing will change your behavior um because his, it, his whole thing about habits is like making the making it easy you know is the idea here that they um like moving to a neighborhood with outdoor stuff is not gonna just instantly turn you into like a social butterfly but is the idea that it just slowly inches you forward and yeah it's like a I mean, one-time it, thing is that yeah, what you're saying like right it doesn't instantly turn you into a social butterfly but um you know it's like when you move to colorado dude it's like you just move to colorado and what do you start doing naturally a year later you're a runner and you've lost 20 pounds right yeah and, and, yeah. and it's like it's it's you know, yeah, I can see like the the life just left your eyes because you're realizing what happened when you moved <laughs> well, back to New York. Well, when you back to New York, yeah. <laughs> like nine, the sparkle, nine the months. twinkle just left your eye when when you when I just saw that happen. Nine months to uh, to lose the weight in about three and a half weeks to, <laughs> yeah. to put it back on. So yeah, he just talked. You know, his whole thing in the book is about building good habits and how habits drive our our habits and systems drive our results, not our ambitions and goals. And so environment design is way more important than uh, grit or hard work. Huh. Um, and the people who are most disciplined are not the people who 
are the hardest working or had a rough life growing up and are really, um, you know, just pushed through it and stick to itiveness that they have. It's, it's that they don't, they're disciplined because they don't have to actually use the discipline to avoid temptation because they set up their life in such a way that temptation is not even there. So you're like, I haven't had sugar in six months. Wow. You have a lot of self-control. No, actually like just don't keep carbs in the house exactly exactly that's awesome and there's a lot of good stuff like that you know even little things putting your guitar out or or if you want to play guitar more and you see it every day or putting a book by your bed to read every day so there's like four laws he has of habits which is like making it attractive making it satisfying making it easy and then there's one other one um and then you invert those to break bad habits so it's pretty cool Uh, I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. Katie just read it, so I'm gonna read it. She bought the um, the physical book. Yeah, me too. I have the physical book too. Well, we have it in the office actually. The office, yeah. Um, Adam listened to the audio book, who apparently is narrated by James Clear, the author. He said it's really good, so that's another option. Yeah, I think that's what Katie did. Oh, cool. And then, and then bought the book. Oh, she cool. Liked it so I much. might I might get the audio book after reading it because just if I run out of podcasts or something, it's a lot of good stuff. Like it would be good to go back through it and outline it. It's it's a lot of good stuff in there. It's nice. kind of overwhelming how much stuff there is. So I kind of feel like it might be good to take one thing at a time. Like I've been doing push ups every day since the quarantine stuff, and I use this thing they do like habit stacking, where you already have a habit and you just put a new habit you want to do before or after it. So I eat lunch, like my, my first meal around noon or 1230 or whatever. And so now just before I eat lunch, I just do my 25 pushups or whatever. And so, nice. you know, just I've started to remember that. It's like, oh, okay, it's time to do my pushups or whatever. <laughs> um, cool, man. Uh, let's talk about some stuff. So I ha- I'm looking at these notes here in podcast topics. Are these all from the last? <clears throat> okay, I, 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 uh. I was wondering if they were all from the last week, but this SPA experience has sucked. That was from the the previous week. Yeah, I think it's everything after that. Cool. We've we've so, done a lot. We have. Yeah. So uh, we paired on the inspector. I think I just threw this in here because I figured it'd be cool to mention in case we didn't have much much to talk about. But um, we can just cover this one quick. We had we had another live stream pair on the Mirage inspector, and that was fun. And we got um, <clears throat> Cypress set up, and. Uh, um, that was really cool because you can basically boot up the app. Our app we're working on is a Gatsby site that already powers MirageJS.com. We're adding an inspector to it, which is like the most app-like feature of the site. Um, and it's pretty complicated. It involves like taking user input, turning it into an iframe, running it in a sandbox, and, and um, and and then using message window.post message to, to communicate between the, the sandbox iframe and the react app to like show your mirage server and uh cypress is a great w- way to test this because it's like black box treats the whole thing as a black box um so we got that working that was pretty cool yeah i mean just just the fact that we can say like type this config into the inspector and then i expect like the viewer to have this output um this thing is so com- like just what you described it's so complicated with with these like iframes and send message and all these things are individual components um and you could imagine testing at the boundaries of the components but that stuff is so brittle in an app like that it would be a pain and right it's brittle we're already just we're kind of in that playing time area where we're still figuring things out so it's actually nice to be able to add the the outside in coverage you know Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I, I, I really like Cypress. Um, I like being nudged towards this style of testing. And I think it's so easy with like the current testing tools to, to to get the boundaries wrong because I think the car, the current tools, they encourage component boundaries. And I think that's really good for like, I'm building a UI library to share across my team yeah, or I'm building like an open source library, like, you know, color picker that that's great to test at the component boundary. Yeah. But for like apps, yeah, I mean, I you know, I sound like a broken record because I was talking about this, but no, but it's 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 still. I just realized I don't have my little light on right here. Boop, boop. Do you have your Elgato key light yet? No, that that uh, I'm gonna look so much better than you in this video, man. I'm gonna be so oh, much wow, brighter. That, that actually really did change. I know it really it really makes it nice. It sets sets you apart. Boom. Um, that's, that's one cool. of those items. It's like thirty days out. Yeah. Um. No, it's it's you're not a broken record because people have to just learn this over and over again. And um, you know, um, Kent Dodds has done a good job with testing library and the way he so- talks about it to make sure new React developers are learning these lessons. Because I think there's been a wave with Enzyme um, and component testing where like Enzyme makes it really easy to give you access to like the names of the state variables on your component, which is something you and I have at this point intuitively understood. That's like we would never do that because the user doesn't care about the state variables. So, um, I mean, you would never ask a user using your app to change the first name state. You right. Would say, you wouldn't even ask in, another developer using your form component. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like understanding the system under test, understanding what the boundaries are, all that stuff. Um, I will say, man, I think, uh, I, I did a little poll. It was a small poll, but I asked, whether I should make a video teaching Mirage testing with Cypress or React testing library in Jest. And I think most React developers are not using Cypress. I think Cypress oh, is more yeah, popular would, in Vue than it is in React. I, I would just, I would also just, you know, React testing library is now the default with Create React app. Oh, okay. Um, it's super easy to get started with. It, it really yeah. is. Like, you know, you're building a React app, you have components, and then testing those components with React testing libraries is really, really easy. Yeah. Um, so you, where, where if you think about something like Cypress, like Cypress, you have to start your server and then you start the test runner. Yeah. And there's commands like um, start test and server that make this really easy to do. But you kind of, th- that's still a lot of moving pieces versus React testing library, which is just right. really, really simple. Cool. So... But you can write the kinds of tests we like with React Testing Library. It's just there's one layer of abstraction between higher, where instead of rendering the app component, you're visiting the slash URL, and we really like that. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen some people on Twitter tweet things like where they make like a visit helper for React Testing Library, mm. but it's still... It, you kind of you have to kind of think outside the box if you go that way because React testing library is going to be very much um, import my sign up form component, yeah, render it, get, and then they they do the good thing where they encourage you to not um, get internal state off the component, yeah, but instead use things like get by test ID or or get by text, um, so things that the user would would actually see, and then assert against those. Yeah. Um, if I had but, a single Go ahead. I was going to say, I, th- I, I think the next step for React testing libraries to, to get something like the visit helper, mm-hmm. um, to get an app like 
And I, I guess this is really, I, I don't know, like, it, is what I'm describing here more app architecture where you, you need like an app, an app component that renders all your routes and then you can. I mean, I was just thinking, that's what I was going to say. I think if you and I were working on an SPA, like an Ember map that was built with this and we were using React testing library, like every test would just render app and we would somehow yes. figure out how to set the URL, like whether we have to import something from React router or we pass something to the app uh, component. And so it would effectively be very close, you know, conceptually it'd be the same thing as visit slash whatever. Yeah. Yes. I, I've, I've seen something like this where people wrap um, the app in a provider component that the tests can like set the URL on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the best. I haven't done this. I don't know if that's like the best way to go mm-hmm. about this, but I have seen people try to take the URL approach with React Testing Library. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But anyways, um, so check that out if you're interested. And um, tomorrow we're going to be uh, casting again, uh, streaming on the on the inspector. And where we ended last week, we, we had some Cypress tests covering uh, just like a very simple case. And we, the air handling was getting pretty uh, gnarly right away, right at the beginning. Um, because our fake sandbox can have like compile time errors and runtime errors and all this stuff. So tomorrow, I think we're going to try X state um, because I think it's going to be a really good solution for this problem. And um, so we're going to do that live. Of course, by the time you hear this podcast, we'll have already done it, but it'll be on my YouTube channel. So you can you can find it there. I, I, also, I think this is a thing we're just going to do every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Yep. So exactly. Yeah. Or like 1.30 or 2 because we usually have a meeting at 1 actually. So we usually do it. We usually do it right after that, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I think we do it like at 2 o'clock or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. 1.30, 2 o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, t- that'll be fun. Um, um, X date. Uh, more tests. It should be good. Um. Okay, next one. Full stack radio podcast with Tim. Uh, interesting cache busting technique used since they are agnostic on data fetching. Let me see if I can remember this. This is like something I wrote down when I was walking around on one of my quarantine walks listening to podcasts, which is all there is to do these days. Can I ask some questions to try to yeah, spark jog your memory? memory? Yes. Yeah. So is when you say um, cache busting, is it is it busting like pages on edge nodes or I, I are you, think, or is it busting like data inside of um I, like a data fetching library i think it's pages on edge nodes um so ah, ah so um here let me think for a second basically uh right 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 they have like this way to lazily build pages and um if you deploy an app that has a static page, um, let's say, let's say that the let's say it's a dynamic page, so it's like slash products one two three. Um, there's a way to do it where was it was static was it was static props? Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna... My follow-up, there's like a whole tree here. It's like you have a dynamic page. Now the next question, is that page dynamic at build time or at runtime? I think it is a build time thing. Like let's say you have data in a CMS and it like you use get static props, which let's say you're building Ember Map and you have 100 videos and you use get static props to fetch the videos from a database. 
loop over your video template and build a page for each of the hundred ones. So you now you have a hundred pages and you put it up. So now all those hundred pages can be pushed to the edge, deployed to CDNs on the edge. Mm-hmm. So now what happens when you want to update one of those pages? There's a way to do it where you don't have to rebuild the entire thing. Um, you can, um, I think, um, like get static props can, you can either tell it or it runs again every time and it checks to find out whether the thing is the latest that it has. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Very cool. And, um, so that was interesting, right? And, um, you can say like, it's fresh for like five seconds or like, like a minute, let's say. Mm -hmm. And, so after a minute, uh, it'll go and it'll try to do it again, and then it can do it. So let's say that it's been a minute, and the person requests a page, and it's stale. What's on the CDN is stale. What next we'll do is give them the stale page, and then basically in like the background, start rebuilding the new version of the page. Very cool. I, I, I believe what you're describing here, too, is not, it's not like a new concept. There's this whole idea about like um, cash stampedes where you can imagine like a, um, a website that's behind a cache and that that cache is valid for like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. And so the cache is just serving, all the cache nodes are ser- serving the thing for 10 minutes. And then at 10 minutes and one second, there's a whole bunch of web requests that come in. And now like they're the all cache gonna servers, get a cache miss. They're all get a cache miss and then they stampede origin. So like all at once, all these servers go back to origin and say, um, I need this and origin is overwhelmed, not by your mm. clients, but by your cash servers on mm. behalf of your clients. So um, I, I believe I, we can Google this, but I think it's like the stampede, the cash stampede. And I think you can specify like um, basically like my cash server should can serve a stale version for like X minutes after mm. the thing expires. And basically like it serves and then goes back and refetches um, so that for the next request, it has a current version. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like does those two things in one step. Like right. I, 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 I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Kind of sounds like that's what what you're yeah, describing. Definitely, I love that term, cache stampede. That's great. Um, the 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 reason is um, uh, you should use get server side props. Right, it can't be cached by a CDM without extra configuration. Um, so static props can be cached fallback key. I want to talk about that too, but there's something about, I want to see how you like, how do you, how do you like bust the cache? How do you basically invalidate, um, invalidate bust cache? Um, okay, but let's just assume for sake of argument, right? That's, that's basically like you put it on a time limit on it, right? So you have your hundred pages that you've generated, but then you can also say they only are valid for a day. So if you don't happen to deploy again in the next day, um, or let's say an hour, right? That way, if I edit a title of a video on the page, um, after an hour, we'll have a system set up basically that it fetches, you know, it invalidates it, and then it can like incrementally rebuild just that page without going through like your entire build process, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's that's really cool. Very cool. And this um, this this whole thing comes from like the next architecture of the concept of pages. So Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And cool. it's get static props. So related to this is get that get static props has um a fallback. So um 
let's say um let's say instead of 100 videos ember map had 10,000 uh videos and so by default if we you know deployed a tiny css change we now have to rebuild whatever i said 100,000 videos and our build process takes like forever and it's like not worth it so instead what you can do is say that our homepage, which displays the latest videos from this week so there's like maybe 100 videos on there we want that page to be really fast so you can have get static props or sorry get static this is get static paths um this is get static paths so like you have um this is a thing that generates all the URLs that, for that dynamic then you route. need to go off and generate yeah, static pages for. Exactly. So let's say you have the homepage, which is static, and then the homepage links to those videos. And you want the videos linked to by the homepage, which are going to be like the 100 latest and the 10 top ones, the most popular ones. Those are the ones you want to pre-generate so that they're super fast and delivered to the edge. So get static paths returns you like those 100 videos that are important to be fast. Um, but you have a backlog of 10,000 videos and you don't want to pre-generate them all. So with fallback, you can set fallback to true. And what will happen is basically the same thing where if you say slash video slash 9,000, whatever, uh, it's a cache miss. And so um, you can have it serve up immediately um, like just the static app, like this SPA version, like a white screen and have a load on the client. Or you can have it um, just server side render it. And then... In the same way, it'll actually use that return value as a cache on the on subsequent visits. So the same mechanism that like lazily can build cached pages that can be delivered to the edge is now built into like the fallback of get static paths as well then, as like the other the um uh as well as the get static props. Yeah, I just just as a thought as you're describing this, I think it's really amazing that you know a year or two ago we we go from building html static sites and then pushing them to the edge and then now we're at this point where it's like what you're describing here is like you have a priority of like these pages are the highest priority and my build needs to be fast so these need to be generated at build time but the yes. other stuff doesn't and um yeah it's just it's it, it it feels like we're moving really really fast and i love that because i think i think that if we were going to if every team was going to build something like this on them for themselves um, it would be a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work. Totally. And it's also nice that you don't get locked in um, to one way of one architecture or the other because if you were building a Jekyll site, you eventually hit that scaling point where your build is super high and you, it's not really feasible to do a, a static page for every route. And so if you want to go dynamic, you have to push it all to the client. Your static build is basically like an app shell and then um, you're not delivering as much content from the edge as you could be with this you get to yeah choose like let's say certain dynamic routes that you do want to deliver to the edge immediately and um but you can still have as much stuff that depends at runtime on the server as you need which is what you would get if you're building a rails app but the problem with the rails app is you can't deliver it via cdn and like you're having to boot up a rails server and make a database for like you have to talk to a server that is talking to a database just to visit like an about page or a marketing page or something like that, which really should be delivered from a CDN. Um, mm -hmm. So it's pretty awesome that you have like the best of both worlds in a sense. I mean, it's it really be, awesome. 
Yeah, it'd be really cool to work on a website like you're describing with like 10,000 pages, but only 100 are really high priority. Yeah, I think like, I mean, I you think like an Amazon.com or something like that, where like obviously the homepage is dynamic, but it would make sense to pre-render it. Or if Ember Map was 10 or 100 times the size of it, right? It would make sense to start doing some of this stuff. So the mm-hmm. bill will be fast. And it doesn't matter if you're finally, you're navigating around and you're on an old video, it's not going to be shared as much as ones in the last week that were released, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, also, what's nice is like a lot of folks that we've worked with and consulted with on Ember apps really want to optimize their homepage. And they're like, it's kind of ridiculous that we're using Ember on a homepage and we just want, it's a marketing site. So like with Next, it's pretty cool that automatically, if you don't export any of these hooks that are data fetching hooks, it will automatically compile it down to um, static uh, files and, and ship it on the on the CDN. So pretty awesome. Yeah, very cool. So one reason I want to talk about this was um, this lazy cash busting technique thing is pretty interesting um, because Next doesn't know what data is using uh, is used on which page because Next doesn't have any opinions about that. The way you build Next sites is just by if you do need dynamic data for a page. You export one of these hooks, um, get static props or get server-side props or get static paths, and you can do whatever you want there. But because of that, like you can't say like um, uh, we've changed video one, two, three in our database. Now we know the homepage and slash video slash one, two, three are invalid. So go ahead and invalidate them from the cache. So well. Wait, hold on. You can. Right. You have to build it yourself the way we did. Well, yes, but also like Varnish, the Varnish model supports this. And and you could see Next um, implementing that and and giving this feature, giving this to you like as a feature. Right. Um, Totally. But today they don't. So I I think I couldn't find it, but I think in the the podcast they were talking about some time-based thing when he was, when Tim was talking about um, like uh, the, the, the page being expired and then being lazily regenerated and the user gets a stale version of the page. As soon as he said that, I was like, when we go down this road, like the time-based invalidation stuff always seems wrong. Always. Yeah. I think it's a good place to start, but it's not where you want to end up. Right. Always. always. I mean, always. Right. So maybe it's just like a nice thing because it doesn't add a lot of complexity because it just kind of works in a sense. But like... but. But I don't, I just want to, when like, you I don't, change a video in your back end, you know, it's changed. So couldn't you, shouldn't you be able to just tell at that point in time, don't wait until a user request or a certain amount of time has passed, go ahead and validate the cache. And then you can actually pre-warm the cache with the new data because you know, at the point in time of the event that it's time to do that. You don't have to wait for a request or, or anything. Right. And I, I don't think there's anything specific about the next architecture that doesn't allow for that. Like, I don't think that, that. I think this would be a feature that they would have to develop and offer, yeah, right. but there's nothing that says they can't. And so, so just to describe like the way this works in Varnish, you have this idea of they're called surrogate keys. And right. so when your page is serving a website, it has a header called surrogate keys and those surrogate keys, they call them like secondary indexes. Um, but you can think of those surrogate keys as like video one, two, three or all videos or something even like you can make these things up. You could call it like homepage videos. And then the cache is going to remember that as like, you know, it's secondary key. And then when the cache 
edge nodes receive an event like, um, hey, guess what? Like video one, two, three, I just edited the title. They just know to go, they can go through all the pages that they have and anything that has a surrogate key of one, two, three, they can just kick it out of the cache. Who, who, who does that? The CDN? Yeah, the CDN. So this is like you're running code at the edge in this case. And again, this isn't, I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't know how to do this in Next. And in fact, I would just wait for Next to like build this feature and offer it to me as a developer. Right. Um, but the, like if you were setting up a Varnish server, you would, you would be thinking like this. Or Fastly or something, but they're running code yes. at the edge. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, next, next has to be running code at the edge as well, right? Like they, you know, they give you the ability to run your node app on the edge. Yeah. Um, so do they, they do. Yeah. They have like get server. What is like the get server side props? The, the server rendered version of it. That's going to be code that runs on the edge. Is it? I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> Isn't I don't there know one? if it is. I don't know if the if the yeah there is get server side props, but I don't know if that runs at the edge or I don't know if it's deployed at the CDNs in the same way the files are. Okay. I know we were talking about that at one point, but I've listened to a few episodes recently that made it seem like it's not because Zite doesn't even use get server side props. They don't use that hook because they either want to build something and and, and have it be delivered because even if okay even if get server side props was deployed to the edge presumably it would make like a database call to yeah yeah in the, west for in, in, in like west virginia or whatever but but, but I'm, I'm not that that's yeah that's different I'm, I'm just saying like the ability the to code, run code code at the edge yeah yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah so I I can, I you can you can definitely make the argument that like okay great you can run code at the edge but if you still have to go back to, to right. virginia to fetch your data right. then what's the point right um i don't know whether the actual function runs at the edge or not but you're saying you need code. The way these systems work is they do run code at the edge because of these surrogate keys. That way you can send a message to all your CDNs to say purge surrogate key video one, two, three or whatever. And yeah, I guess I guess I, I'm kind of like just yeah. making shortcuts here. But yeah, I think the original idea behind a CDN, it's like if CDN 1.0 is like a really dumb reverse proxy that remembers all the things that it gets from origin and just starts reserving them. Mm. Um, but then you end up in this weird spot where you can only expire things based on like a date. Mm. Um, so the origin says like, okay, I'm giving you this, this, this page. Um, it's good until Thursday. I see. And so, so, and I guess to like, okay, your, your CDN now, holds this thing until Thursday and then on Thursday it goes back and gets the next version of the page. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, cause of all the things you described, like editing a video title, mm -hmm. we need some way to evict that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that you basically, you can go through a whole bunch of iterations and you end up with something where you have a message system where you can push out eviction notices to all these edge notes. Interesting. That makes sense to me. Um, So, yeah, basically the question is like, how do you evict things with Next? If there's, do they, do they, I don't think they expose, I don't know if they expose a hook. I don't know what the eviction thing is. Do they expose you a hook that says a time limit, how often things are valid? Do they just invalidate once you do a new build? Um, um, I think Tim was talking about a way to invalidate based on either I think it was a time. I don't think it was a message. Okay. I mean, but those are, those are, those are great, great questions too. Yeah. Like how, how would you go about? Yeah. 
building what so yeah basically my my takeaway thought was like um this is really cool it's like if you were so ember map our site for folks who haven't been listening long enough we built something similar with fastboot in ember which uses node as its cache it's not it's not um a cdn but it, it could none of the architecture limits that but it uses um node to pre-render the pages and we have the surrogate keys wired up because of the way we fetch data in our app we know enough about the data that is um, powering each page that we can create a list of surrogate keys and if you go to the home page right now we have a list of all the video ids that are generated that are used on that page and um uh which is cool because if you edit the title you can just scan all the pages in the cache or just yeah, just send a message that says video one two three has changed, and the cache can just be intelligent about um, purging those, evicting those those inputs, and then the next time a request comes through, it can work, and and you could also pre warm it at that time as well. So that to me seems like the ideal, and it was neat think, listening to this episode because it was kind of like okay, well let's say we're under the constraint that we don't have this connection between the data that's building these that that's that's powering these pages how would we design a system that lets people take advantage of caching and eviction um in an agnostic way so it's kind of cool right it's like not ideal I w- it's kind of like if i really put something out like put let's put ourselves back at, at ted where we're working and, and people are ed- editing titles of things and, and editors are like I don't understand why this is not here. So it's going to be super frustrating. So very soon you're going to come to a point where maybe in like your back office tool, you're going to say like, either you're not going to cache it, or if you do cache something, then you're going to say like 10 minutes. Like what's the, what's the most amount of time we could wait because we, we want it to be fast, but um, we understand you have to make changes and and there's a trade-off here. The longer we wait, the faster it'll be for more people. So um, let's say we can, we, we negotiate and we get it to 10 minutes, right? you know, every 10 minutes, you're going to regenerate the page. And it just feels like so much. If you had like a thousand pages and everything has 10 minutes on it, every 10 minutes, like you're just I, doing all this work that feels like a waste. I don't know. I think, I think your web server can handle one request every 10 minutes. But it would be, let's say, it, 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 let's say like the background job has to go through, evict everything. You do it in a background job. You just give people the stale cash until the background job finishes. And um, so every 10 minutes, it goes through 2,000 pages and uh, re- regenerates them. I guess it's fine, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, I think it's, not, you get- it's simple. It's certainly simple, simpler than setting up both the, the, the surrogate keys and the webhook or whatever event you'll need to send from your back end to the to the front end. Right, right. Later. Having having edge nodes that are basically smart enough to receive events and yes. evict, not just be a, a, a dumb reverse proxy. I, it is more complex. But it's also like, it really frustrates me that, that you have to make this trade-off because people yes, are, who are should. working in, in worse WordPress apps are like, I edit the thing and I go back and hit Command R and it's there. And it's like, we've lost that. Yeah, I've, but we don't you have know, to. Based based off everything I've seen from Next, I, I would feel comfortable betting that they They'll offer there. they offer this. Um, I mean, I really love seriously. I love what they're doing. That yeah. this stuff is so accessible now, yeah. where before it just wasn't. Yeah, um, it seems like so, it's come a long way in the last few months, especially. Yeah, and I think we'll f- see them follow the typical CDN progression of yeah, you know, running code at the edge. Yeah. busting these things yeah um 
I mean, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, it's going to be like, do their customers actually need this? Yeah. And that would be the thing that drives it. But yeah, I would, I would, you know, like you said, we always run into these problems where it's like you, it's so frustrating because you pick 10 minutes and the 10 minute like cash, it's just like both both parties agree to that, right? The DevOps team and then like the content editors, yeah. they agree to that. And they're both super frustrated by it. Yeah, yeah, yes. So, so yes. yeah, it's just, it never works out. Yep. Um, yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> I was also thinking when I was on listening to this podcast, like the fact that Next can do both you know, server side rendering at runtime for, for maybe for routes where you just want, you can't do the CDN, like user specific data and the CDN stuff. It's just like, if, yeah, I mean, we did that with rails, but it's like, you have to hire a, a, a varnish expert or whatever. I mean, it's, it's insane oh how God. complex, it, how complex it is yeah, to make a rails I, app do this. I, the fact that I can just like type like yarn dev and then get push. Yeah. And, I have all this. Yeah. Like that's just, you can't, you can tell me how varnish can do everything next can do. And, um, yeah, I'm sure there's people doing this with rails and I just, I just don't, I mean, we've been down, I just don't care. (laughs) I just don't. We've been down that road, right? I mean, we, we had that scaling issue and and you want to ship code to the edge, like literally wanted to do that because it was slow in other parts of the world. And if your core app is like a server, yeah, that needs a runtime server. It makes it really hard. So this is it's pretty cool. It seems like you're going from the opposite direction. You're starting, you know, with a browser static app and you work backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like it's the boundaries are just great. It's really cool. Yeah, there's some real nuggets of like genius and yes. and where they started because yes. yeah, just how like we would approach this. We would like we're starting with a server and then yes. thinking about like how do we get that server out? And yep. yeah. Now they do always keep talking in these podcasts about like um, how the database technology will get there one day. So I I I, I believe it. The I've Tom Preston Warner it. from uh, Redwood said like five to ten years or something like that. Though, like FaunaDB, basically like the Rails app hits issue. Like the Rails app model is great. Like you edit a database thing and you make a request and it comes to a web server that hits the database, which is a source of truth, and gives it to you. Like, that's extremely simple. It's real time, but then it, it gets slow um, because you can't replicate your database. But, like, apparently the FaunaDB and some of these other databases are made to be replicated around the world. So in the same way that a cache, a CDN, can deliver static assets around the world near all your customers, there will be databases one day that can be replicated and deliver your single source of truth data around the world. I don't know how that's possible, but interesting five to ten years that seems like a long time i think he said that um he said like in one like definitely a couple years for fauna to really get this down but then for it to like percolate through um and that but that could have implications for kind of changing some of this because it's 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 yeah the eviction and the time and the cash keys that's an extra layer of complexity on top of a normal normal thing that's a great point. So like you're saying like this eviction stuff, we're just dealing like the only reason this exists is because we have a single database in a single location. And exactly. so if we can get rid of that, then who, who cares about? Exactly. Okay. That's, that's a great. Exactly. I the, mean, cause think about it when you do a, a rails app locally, you, it's fast. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's and it's fast, fast. In, it's fast in production because I deploy it to the, the location nearest to my house. You exactly. know what I mean? Exactly. Doesn't help people in Japan, but it helps me. Right, right. Um, 
so yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Um, then wow, I that's, heard, I just yeah okay. Your, your brain's kind of going with the, yeah the because it's like maybe maybe all this CDN stuff is, is goes away once you the have wrong replicate. angle to attack it. Yeah, I'm I'm happy I'm not I'm happy that Next is doing this. Um, but I'm just thinking for like for for us investing in like learning this stuff. Maybe right. it's much better to jump on the um, what are the databases that that we can replicate. Um, and start using those. Yeah, because it's a monolith experience. It's 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 a single integrated request response. Um, you know, runtime. It's it's just simpler. Now, even if you had a database, like you could make an argument. If you are working on a big site, you want the homepage is completely static. You don't want it to go through the database at all. So, like, you could still pre-build it, I guess. Um, but like the the database real time stuff is is nice that it's close by. Potentially, yeah, would, it, w- it would definitely have huge implications if you could easily distribute your database the same way you can distribute CDNs, can distribute uh, static files. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, too, I look at the the building a static page similar to like adding Russian doll caching in Rails yeah. where it's like you get the site working, it's pretty fast, and then these are all going to be yes. optimizations that you add. And some of them are, are big optimizations. I'm, I'm not saying they're like micro-optimizations, yeah. but um, they're optimizations in the sense that, that they don't require like a huge architecture change. Exactly. Exactly. Like the Rails Russian doll caching is super fast, but it, it still requires a database um, to be there. Mm-hmm. But it makes it really fast. So if all of a sudden you had an easy way to put that database around the world, then maybe that's all you ever need. And and you don't have to deal with another CDN layer or anything, which is pretty cool to think about. Like, that's pretty awesome to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just imagining like what, I mean, my mind, my mind is just so far down the path of like Rails will never be globally deployed without, right. without you crazy know, work or a ex- expertise expert or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can't commoditize that aspect. But may I mean maybe if if a database comes out, it's actually it's pretty easy to do. Not you know, not for me, but right. for <laughs> for some service can offer this, and that's yeah. that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. Um. So then I heard this other podcast where Gatsby, um, someone from Gatsby was talking about Gatsby Cloud, and do you know what Gatsby Cloud is? No. It's basically their premium offering, and one of the things it helps with is incremental rebuild. So it was like the same conversation, basically, um, where oh. the biggest problem with Gatsby is like if you have a massive site, it takes forever, and you want to change the title on one page, you have to rebuild the entire site. It's ridiculous. So um, incremental rebuilds is a way like to say we just know that this page changed, and um, so we can just do that one by itself. I have a, I have a question here. Is it? Do they like get into the implementation of this? Is it like a, a build server that keeps the the dot cache directory around? I they do get in the implementation. They talk about how it's like in parallel. They can do build of the pages in parallel. They do it, um, and then in terms of the incremental part, um, I mean they can build like a site that would take like over an hour and like you know m- like no time, like minutes. Um, something about yes. parallel. Something about which sites changed i don't don't know i think i don't know if it's just like um them setting up a bunch of workers and and splitting it out or if it's something more sophisticated that on the build side but what is more sophisticated is the cash busting thing so 
after I had listened to the thing about Next and was like, oh, this is interesting. It's a way to solve the caching problem and the eviction problem when you don't know what data is powering each page. You just use a, a time thing and evict it. Think about Gatsby. They were able to come up with a surrogate key. Can you guess what that is? The the GraphQL query, the static yeah. query. Yeah. So because every Gatsby page, the way you get dynamic data into a Gatsby app is through the content mesh. It is a GraphQL query that powers every page. They know that. And GraphQL, the, the content mesh is like it's all typed. And I can look at your GraphQL query and and trace it back to something in the content mesh because I know how the data got in there. And now I can see if any of that data has changed from the last time. And so I can build a Gatsby site, put it on Gatsby Cloud, and um, if my article in my Contentful CMS changes the title, I think I can send a message to my Gatsby Cloud app and it will know it just has to rebuild one article on the page and not redeploy the whole app. Now I have, a, I have a question with this. So I thought is that was it, pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. It's basically the thing we built for EmberMap. I mean, it's 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 surrogate keys. You know. You know what's funny is all of these systems are like the thing we built for EmberMap, but just like way better. Yeah, of course. You know but I mean? it's still, I like that the architecture is where you end up. It is the yes. It's the yes. end game. It's sur- surrogate keys or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Do they do they do something where like um. I'm imagining a world where, where you edit something in Contentful, it sends out, it has like a webhook, like mm-hmm. ping this URL whenever my data changes and give me like the entity and the entity ID. Right. Um, so video one, two, three changed. Right. Does Gatsby like rebuild the content mesh at that point and then diff like old content the mesh and new content something? mesh? Yeah. And then basically if you like have an old mesh and a new mesh, now you know the data that changed. And then you can like look at any queries and say, but like, couldn't oh, you just look at the key? Couldn't you build the surrogate keys for everything? And and from the GraphQL query, you know, video one two three was used on this page. And so, couldn't it be the same mechanism that we have? Basic, effectively, I'm doing a lot of hand waving here, but if you do a GraphQL query for all videos in my content mesh, then the keys can just be whatever videos one, video two, video three, and and if Gatsby Cloud is keeping track of each one of those per page, and then it gets a message that video one two three has changed. It knows to just evict that page. I, okay, I get, Okay, so I guess it it in. I don't every, think it would have to rebuild the mesh or, or do a diff on the mesh or anything like that. So then every mesh node would need some sort of ID. So when it gets like a message from Contentful, it can find it knows where in the mesh that thing is stored. Right. Like okay, so imagine right. this. Imagine right. you. You're, you're for whatever reason you're building a site in contentful and you have a title and that yeah it does need to you're right it does need to know the difference between the content because like you can imagine mesh. a site with a title that title is three words and just you as a developer you just you store each of those words in three different notes right and so you'd have to have some notes. some way yeah you'd have to have some way to um yeah because you can map. run arbitrary functions that push data into the content mesh yeah um so yeah, you probably get the new content mesh and then somehow compare it. Now one one thing I I don't know how that works actually, but one one thing I learned just kind of like going off this um, yeah. building a Gatsby site that we're working on is you can have nodes that have a parent-child relationship to other nodes in your system. Okay. So when the parent changes, 
the children know that they have to change. And so oh. that can flow out through the whole tree. So we were building like a CMS thing and we have a file. And when that file changes, basically all these other things invalidate. And the way I wrote this, um, the file was changing and I would have to restart the server, <laughs> which uh, lasted <laughs> the for best about- best way to invalidate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that lasted for about three hours. And um, that's, when I, that's when I found this. Um, I actually looked at what like the MDX- um, the MDX plugins are using because they, you know, think about all the things that can change right. and they just rebuild. Cool. And, and, and so there is a parent child thing. So maybe you have a contentful item in your mesh. And then if you do weird things like split the title and store that as new nodes, well, they you have to give it some information about what yes. is tied to which, which thing. Pretty cool though. Yep. Very, very, very cool. Yeah, I, apparently it's really good. It's really fast. And then they have this preview mode where if you like want to create a new blog post, you create it and then you get a deploy and preview mode of your post and it doesn't do the build. It actually it actually has a runtime thing that it delegates to in Gatsby Cloud. So you start saving the blog post. Let's say you're editing the, the post in Contentful. You view your Gatsby site um, and in preview, and you want to see how your new blog post looks before you publish it. Instead of doing a normal Gatsby build and Gatsby serve, preview mode just lets the API request actually go through at runtime. And it makes the, 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 all the resolver or not, yeah, whatever would normally run at build time, they let it run at runtime so the editor can see their changes immediately. It's like five seconds. They have a threshold of five. There's a five second thing, but um, everything happens fast enough that you basically have a real server and it's super fast. And so you can see it and then you just commit the changes and then they can incrementally rebuild that page in the final in production and then you're, you're good to go. So I guess that's, that's similar to what you were talking about with next where next does like the pre-build, but then after a page expires, it doesn't need to build the whole site. It can just go and and it fetch that data so that's almost like a runtime yes build and this in a way is almost like a runtime build yep pretty neat though yeah <laughs> um i mean yeah so they're all they're all pushing on similar things you know pretty interesting stuff um do you i have a, I have a question do you um do you see like one of my thoughts here as you describe this stuff is like um services like heroku and even services like Netlify are are too generic. Um, I'm imagining like like these things being really valuable. These these tools that you just described. Why would you use Netlify when 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 you're not going to get out all the goodies of, of Gatsby Cloud or whatever? Right. So it's it's almost like the the hosting arc the hosting architecture is tied to the tool uh, because there's there's benefits from it and. Yeah, so they both talked about this on these podcast episodes. Next is is open source and always will be, and and nothing about Next um, makes it tied to now. It's just you have to do more instrumentation work to get the CDN stuff working with the invalidation. Basically, what we were talking about before, like you'd have to set that stuff up yourself, but you can. But if you deploy it to now, you just get it automatically because they know you're deploying a Next app and they know. Um, what all the hooks means and that and, and what that implies for which pages can be cached and which ones can't. 
Yeah, and, and to be clear, I'm not saying like this is a bad thing or a reason that you shouldn't use these services. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually going the opposite way. To- to- totally, that, that totally. This is like a good thing and the fact that I don't have to wire this stuff up. Um, I mean, there's risk, I guess, in that there's lock-in, but but the point is like, is it worth it? Like, um, And then Gatsby, of course, Gatsby Cloud is like very hyper-focused on that case. So like you can deploy Gatsby app to Netlify. That's what we do. But maybe one day or maybe today, Gatsby Cloud will be such a better experience. It's kind of what you're saying is that you actually now want to use the deploy um, layer that is tailor made for the the framework you're using because of these these synergies. You know? Yeah, um, I mean just just to give like a super simple example of this, our deployment on Netlify starts from scratch every time because it's like a brand new container or whatever. So there's no previous cache that it keeps around. Right. And we run out of deploy minutes, you know, 60% right. of the way through the month. Right. Um, and it's cheap. It's like seven bucks for, for more minutes. So it's not. But would we be us. willing to pay to just have all that stuff work? Of course we would. Like if it just. Yeah. yeah. And it would be and faster. The, and the deploy takes a while. Um, yep. And especially with sites, we we have another site where we have a lot of images and we're doing imagery sizing. And yep. that, that stuff is just, you know, everyone knows that that stuff just takes forever. And totally. We kind of deal with it. But yeah. Totally. Yep. No, that's that's. I, I think that's, I mean, I think that's awesome if, if those, um, it's a more whole experience that solves more of the problem. So sounds great to me, you know? Um, yeah, it's a great, great, like we talk about whole apps and, and really your, your deployment and serving is not a separate thing. That's right. A, that, that, that is probably part of your app. Right. Um, I mean, the fact that we have so many podcasts where we talk about this in the right. sense of application development. Right. Exactly. Um, the app developer is not really shielded from that if they want to share what their work, you know? Yeah. Pretty interesting. Last Next.js thing. This is called the 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 uh, Next.js podcast. Server-side props. So they don't use this, right? So the reason that, that they don't use it, even though they made it, is because um, it blocks. So when you click on a link, it's basically the model hook in Ember. And it blocks, and then you once you get the data from the back end, it, it renders the next page. But the way it does it is with a secret endpoint that it makes that's like specific to the page. You were talking about this last week, right? That's right. So yep. what I think they should do, and we were ha- I was hacking with Adam a little bit, and it's like if you export get server side props, you could just all you need is the URL to that secret endpoint in your component. So if you got like the endpoint, the URL then you could just make a fetch request to that in a use effect. But yep. you avoid having to make like a generalized purpose API because your server code, it's basically your Rails controller for like a specific, it's actually like your Rails controller code, not for the kind of generic APIs that you and I have been writing for years, almost like a like a traditional yep. controller code for a traditional Rails app, which is focused for a single page. Well, I, I was just going to make a comment. It's like a React component, right? Because you have your JavaScript up top and then your JSX at the bottom and yes. you don't split those two things yes. because so, they're they're meaningful. Yeah, exactly. And so it's pretty cool to think if you could have like an, you could, we were like playing with like export const like server actions and you say like get all pages or, or get all posts. And then it's like a method um, that's like um, await, you know, uh postgres connects uh dot select star from post right mm-hmm. and then like you have like a create post action that like uses the connects orm to like insert data into the postgres database 
and it's co-located with your React component right there. And then as props, your React component just gets these URLs that it hits Ooh. that you can hit in action handlers like button click or use effect to fetch it. And the the actual API endpoint is like, you don't care about that. It's just a URL yeah. and it doesn't pollute all this code. It doesn't go into slash API folder. It's basically how you do it when you have an existing GraphQL API and you can co-locate the query or the mutation code right there with the component. But this way, you basically don't need GraphQL. GraphQL is useful because it lets you co-locate that stuff with your component code, but you still need a generalized API to be behind it all. But if you could, if you didn't, like you maybe don't even need that. It's it's. I'm just saying it's really good too because it it prevents this sort of like bike shedding on like oh okay now that this thing like lives at slash api slash post slash id we need to make it work in all these different scenarios exactly you're like nudged to make it global and, and work everywhere but think about it, if like that that url is only passed in as props there's just such a nice little box yeah just just tied around that thing i know that it's it's People it's, are already making their artisanal APIs and anyways. Why not embrace that and let them just go for it, right? Like Yeah, but I mean they're making artisanal APIs, but using them as generic global, API, generic global, APIs yeah. badly. <laughs> Pretty interesting, right? Now of course there's global concerns like security that, that need to be thought about, but as far as like getting rid of the, the bike shedding and I mean it's pretty interesting, right? Like there's no reason they couldn't do that too. It doesn't. It's not the way that it works today, so it will always block. So they don't even use it themselves. But if they were to inject the URLs as props, it would be pretty awesome. And what what you're talking about here isn't even get server side props. It's more of like a bunch of handlers that are only available as props. Right, right. It's get server side. It's just a server side function that you can invoke by hitting an API endpoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there uh, so so you were you guys were hacking on this? Is there a way to to like do that today? No, we were just we were just playing around with what it could okay. be because like today, I think if you and I were going to build a next app, we would do what Zite does, which is app shell model, pre-render static pages, and then for like user specific pages where you want runtime data, um, use like SWR or whatever. Yep. So. Um, the way we build Ember apps, you know. Um. You know, another thing is like we have, we often talk about like data fetching components and there's something that's really validating that if you have your, your actual data logic inside that same component file, um, there's something I really like about that. Oh, I yeah. feel like that it's kind of completing the story there. Totally. Totally. And like, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you already have a general API, um, GraphQL is a great layer because you don't have to wrangle with the global resources. What do we need for this or for that? Um, if you obviously run into problems, it's obviously not a silver bullet. A generalized, truly generalized gra- uh, a GraphQL API that can serve the need of every page of your site is subject to all sorts of issues, caching I mean, issues, speed and complexity. It, API is about policy, right? Yeah, that, exactly. Like, that it, just hits it, you it, square it, in the it, face it, here. Totally. hundred percent, hundred percent. So, um, but in the times that I've worked on small projects that 
the API exists, the experience, the dev experience is similar to how I think this would feel, which is really good, which is like you're in your to-do component and I just need this data. So I just throw my GraphQL thing right above it and then boom, I'm good to go. So I really like the move towards mm -hmm. the co-location. It feels really good. It's surprising even going back to an app where I have to write CSS, like opening a separate CSS thing. It's like, why? I'm right here. I'm in my flow. And so now it feels the same thing with like, you know, the data fetching stuff. So it's pretty interesting. Um, it's like you want to optimize for staying in that flow as long as possible. And then when it makes sense to break things out, you can, but you know, just like the reason, one of the reasons we work on Mirage is because getting, stepping out of your JavaScript front end environment and like booting up a rail server, that's a huge friction. Even, you know, going to a different file is a friction. And so it's nice to be right there and then extract things out when they need to be shared. It's kind of interesting, right? It's kind of an interesting uh, approach. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool to see it carry through, whether you're talking about CSS or or even API calls. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of that, I was, that was some stuff I wanted to talk about because I thought it was interesting how both of those came out recently. And clearly, um, Gatsby and, and, and Zite are thinking about these same problems. And it's problems that we ran into four years ago, three years ago, after doing a bunch of Ember apps. And you see the same thing. And, you know, with the lightning deploy stuff that came out in, in the Ember ecosystem, it's like, I just wanted to change a little bit of CSS. I don't want to redeploy my, my Heroku, my Rails app on Heroku. So mm -hmm. you start, you start heading in this direction, you know, and it's pretty, it's a pretty cool thing. Um, it's pretty cool. So yeah, I'm excited, like that. It's not just us anymore. Like this has become a mainstream <laughs> thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and and also there's lots of new terminology and names that people are giving things that make it easier to talk about across ecosystems. I mean, we're we're starting to see the abstractions. Yes, get built up around this, and it's it's awesome. It really is cool. It really is cool. So maybe we're one step closer to finding a stack we're happy with. That's like <laughs> that's my new thing. I want to be be super happy next time I have to go build a new app. I just know exactly what I'm going to build, and I don't have to. Now, we still have the fundamental tension here, which is in my mind keeping me up at night between like, do we build a polished SPA or do you just build like a Rails-like experience? Basically, if you're going to build a Rails-like experience, you could use Next and get server-side props. And that would be, for me, that would be much more enjoyable um, and I'd be much more productive than building a Rails app. Um with the exception why, of not why, having active record, I guess. Yeah, I, I I think you might feel that way at first because it's like, I know JavaScript and I, I know NPM and I know all these tools, but I, I think um, well, Prisma, Rails gives you a lot out of the box and I think it, for a server-side yeah. app, it would be worth exploring those things. Yeah. The reason I said that is because this get server-side props hook is basically replicates the feel of a traditional SSR because you click a link, you wait for yep. something to happen on the server, which is simpler in some ways, but it makes it feel slower. Um, yep. So yeah, I'm just saying I, I, you basically can't build the kind of SPAs that we're used to building with either Gatsby or Next or, or these modern uh, some of these modern tools because a lot of the assumptions uh, are built around the per page idea, which we've uh, talked about recently. I see. I see what you're saying. So 
even if I got happy with the stack like Next and a data access layer like like Prisma, which by the way, did you realize this? Like, if you go to Prisma.io, it's they're a different company. They're a different product. Um, Prisma used to be like a GraphQL host of GraphQL thing. It's not anymore. It's like Active Record for. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I I set this up like a year ago, and that's what it was. It was an Active Record thing. So it didn't come with. It wasn't hosted database or something. It used I to think, be a hosted database. I think they offered hosting, but I I had this running on my computer, and it was talking to Postgres. Yeah. I think so. I looked at like a bunch of these things and this is one of the ones I used. Prisma One Cloud. So that was their original, that's like what they used to be. Um, but um, anyways, I don't remember what I was talking about. Like if, if you use get server-side props in Prisma, you, you can build something that, that makes like, like real real database queries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But it's also like has that the, the Rails like experience. But if you wanted I think that, to build like an app like experience, I guess, um, like a create React app, like the kind of yeah. app that you would get with that and using React Router, um, of course, you can always just deliver that on Netlify and and just get a white screen as React renders. But that if you want to start doing these cool things like the incremental static builds of pages that aren't dynamic, that becomes a lot harder. I, I, have, I have two 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 things I want to respond with. The, the first, I just on the Rails thing, I think that, the at the like hundred thousand foot view it's the same as rails but i do think rails gives you a lot under the hood like like just like um i know dude, but re- tell me request forgery like there's just all this stuff that you like but these how are decisions fast, how long would it take for you to get frustrated if you started building a rails app even if you are con- happy with a normal traditional server side uh, experience where like you had the browser running. I mean, the, the the moment the product person act asks me to build the autocomplete that, yeah just exactly at that point yeah, so so that but that's okay but like if we're just going server-side rendering um of course we're never just server-side rendering that's that's the real thing here um is it really realistic to want to do a site like that and to it's fine i'm not saying you can't build a website in 2020 with rails i'm saying that you're going to want you're going to miss the product how productive you feel when you're working with with stuff like react yes. or, or ember like you have a modern UI component library in the front end, you're using all NPM ecosystem, like you're going to miss that very, very, very fast. Yep. And you're going to be like, it's going to be worth my time to invest in a new architecture so I can have access to that. So I'm just saying, there's there's a there's an argument to be made that um, like if you use Next, um, you, you kind of get that in a sense. But you get to avoid some of the complexity of like a client-side data cache and having to do all that kind of spa fat client you're not building a fat client so you get to avoid a lot of complexity that comes with a fat client but of course like the off story isn't, isn't as good as rails that like you're saying the 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 form stuff that you know all that stuff isn't the orm active record mm-hmm. isn't as good as rails so that's the trade-off yeah yeah i guess I would, that yeah exactly if you need more interactive components and less um you know yeah let's just say active record yeah yep uh <clears throat> There's another thing you said that that oh oh the the thing that I do like about this whole get server side props thing is do you remember the first time we used the Netlify dashboard how yeah. just insanely fast it was oh and yeah every they do like 
they had like the loading template for the SPA loading the JavaScript. Then they do the the skeleton screens. Really nice for, skeleton screens. For the JavaScript app loading the data. And then they do this with like every page transition as well. Um, right. So when you go to a new page, it's always skeleton screens. I think there were like maybe a few that weren't, but but for right. the most part, it was like the like it was like the the best my oh, ideal yeah. SPA. Oh yeah. Um, and so I think it this felt like a native app almost. Yeah. So I think the idea of having something where it's like you're nudged towards using use effect and yeah. doing all that data fetching forces you to actually address this right now. Yes. Um, and to build those skeleton screens because. You know, yeah, in the SPAs yeah, yeah. that we've worked with, it's it's very easy to just have a blocking yeah, totally. uh, mo- model hook yeah, and yeah. just, okay, the data's local, it's fast enough, or I'm using mock data, and you don't realize this stuff. And we're not thinking about this stuff at the beginning. Right. So that's something that, that I really appreciate about that. These, these, these hooks and these boundaries. No, I yes. agree. We, and we talked about this in an episode like a couple months back where it's like, the, the 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 what does the incremental path look like to go from blocking render to skeleton screen and um in ember if you use fast boot and you have the data fetching in the model hook that can work it's pretty cool because now you can render it with the data but you have other problems that come from that whereas um uh the one shot render with react uh like you said especially if you're using next you're nudged there earlier on and so i like that it's a smoother path if you have a data fetch in a model hook and then you need to move it into a data fetching component that's a big change in ember unfortunately and if you know what you're doing you can do it but building skeleton screens in ember is like um you can use loading templates but usually that's not enough like usually that's not really what you want to do it it goes back to kind of like the varnish discussion where we can say oh you can do this this is all available but the reality is is people don't do it it's yeah. confusing. Yeah. And um, again, it's even like, you know, I, I consider myself an Ember to be like uh, um, closer, like expert developer. Mm-hmm. And these are things that I skip over. Right. Um, right. Because I'm not nudged towards them. Where, where right. there's other things in Ember that I don't skip yep. because the framework does a, an excellent job nudging yep. me towards it. Yep. And so I, I really do appreciate that. that That's a great yeah, point. When that happens. Yep. That's a really good way to say it. I like that. Um, so yeah, and I just, I, I do love like apps with the nice skeleton screen and the sync rendering on, on nav and it's great. Yeah. And, um, that doesn't happen, I guess, even if you use Zeit's approach, because I don't, you are client side rendering, but you still have to wait on some props from the server that are per page, even if you're not re- waiting for a, a blocking data render. So it will be fast. Because it's not going to rent wait on get server side props, but it's still I'm pretty sure it still has to go to fe- fetch the the component page props, you know. I, I I so I guess I don't know like when if they split up their their site per page. Yeah. Um, when I use Next apps, they feel really fast. Yeah. And so I think at some point they download the rest of those components. So like if I'm going from you know page A and page B are two completely different components page components um if i land on page a at some point i end up downloading page b i don't know when that is i don't mm-hmm. know if it's like when you once page it, a is or, yeah exactly or once it's loaded is, yeah once you hover it once you click it um but i have noticed with apps next apps that i've used the navigation does get really fast so yeah. i think there is some 
So maybe it's close on. enough that it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah, my yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's leave it at that. One step closer to our, our a good stack that we're happy with. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Um, it's pretty interesting stuff. This 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 stuff is pretty interesting. So I'll I'll be sure to link to these interviews because they were really cool. Uh, Tim works on um, Next.js, and uh, I kind of always forget his, his last name here. Um, Newtkins, Newtkins, and uh, Guillermo was on uh, JS Party. JS Party is really good, by the way. I think I listened to it like a couple years ago and stopped listening to it, but like in the last few weeks, there's been really good stuff. And the panelists on there are I'm really impressed with the, their questions. And also, like they come from, I think they come from a similar background as us. So they're asking about databases and and Rails experience. They're not, they're like they've built more than an app against Firebase. So that you know, what I mean, they they know this stuff. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff, man. Um, and Guillermo is always fascinating to listen to, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, the Gatsby one was really good too. So I'll make sure to link to all those. And uh, yeah, if you want to follow us, uh, build the Mirage JS Inspector here. Um, that'll be happening soon uh, tomorrow, Tuesdays around 2 o'clock and um, that's all we got for this week very cool alright, thanks for joining us everyone we will see you next week, bye bye